Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Alexis Stewart. Alexis, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Very good. Glad to visit you. And I'm going to tell people how we met. So most listeners know that I pick up litter every day. And some who know me pretty well know that I walk around my neighborhood, especially when they're in season, and pick up pick the berries that are around. The other day, I'm walking home from the river, and I see a woman picking up litter. And not like... Some people, when they pick up litter, they're kind of not, you were doing it, not methodically, but you were doing it in a way that like, this is clearly someone who doesn't just, didn't just see one piece of litter and picked it up. Like you, you were doing it. And I woke up and I say, yeah, I just wanted you to know I pick up litter too. And you're like, me too. And I said, um, I've been picking up litter since 2017. And I don't remember exactly what you said. You weren't like, oh, I have too. Cause I was kind of humble bragging, maybe out bragging. And, uh, but you, we started getting this conversation. We're two people who for years without asking for congratulations, we're just picking up litter and we get into this conversation that I've not gotten into a conversation like that because everyone is like, oh, my hands are going to get dirty or, oh, but like everyone's got their thing that they don't do it or they do it every now and then, but not methodically. And so listeners can't see this, but she's like, yes, yes, yes. So I said, let's have this conversation on, uh, to record because I think it'll be very interesting for people to hear what it's like when you pick up litter. I'm passionate about picking up litter. I'm the crazy old lady picking up litter. And I've had, I was all set for the pandemic because I already had rubber gloves for picking up litter. Mm-hmm. I mean, conversely, I don't like wasting a pair of rubber gloves, but I can pick up a lot more litter comfortably if I'm wearing those very skinny rubber gloves. And I don't feel so bad about it. Yeah, and there was a time when I was going to high-five you, and you are like, no, not with the gloves on. And the lady took them off. <laughs> Too gross. Yeah, I took one off. Do you mind sharing? Who, it was kind of funny in the conversation. You are like, yeah, I have important people in my life. I was like, I wonder who she's talking about. And then you are an important person, and you have important no, people in your life. No, I'm not important, but my mother is quite famous, and her name is Martha Stewart. And, um, yeah. And that was just kind of something that came up. But you also have done—I mean, this isn't your first podcast either. You've been— no, I, I used to have a show on Sirius for a bunch of years. I don't know, six or seven years, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. We also had a television show where we made fun of my mother's old television shows. Was, was that with her cooperation? cooperation or was yes, that in, it was her okay. idea, actually. Part of me wants to get into that and like hear the story because it sounds like, here's my guess, is that you would make fun of it off air and she was like, you know what, this would make a good show. No, she's not. She, it was surprising because she's not actually that amused when I make fun of her. But <laughs> she, uh, I don't know how she came up with it. She's before, you know, internet television, she watched, I think she would see in the middle of the night or whatever, Mystery Science Theater, which I've never seen, but she. You're not as geeky as I am. <laughs> I'm pretty geeky. I'm just, uh, I like, um, like extreme violence and darkness. i just science fiction isn't good enough for me. I need a post-apocalyptic something, that kind of thing. Nordic okay. noir, which is relatively new, at least for us. And I was a big reader. I don't read actual books so much anymore, but I listen to books mm-hmm. constantly. Because I find if I, first of all, I don't have a lot of time to sit still and read a book. And also will fall asleep immediately. So when I'm cooking, when I'm cleaning, when I'm walking the dog and picking up trash, I'm listening to a book, typically, if not the radio. Oh, yeah, you had headphones on when I, when I stopped you. I think you had to take So I interrupted your, your book. <laughs> yeah, I don't, even, I, would, I don't remember, yeah. When, do you remember what started you picking up trash? Part of it is having a dog. 
because you walk the, typically approximately the same route over and over again, and it's your neighborhood, and and you walk. You know, my dog's she's a fast dog, but we're not running, and you just see it. Like you see, every, I see every piece, mm-hmm. and I can sometimes get my daughter to go out with me, and we'll do trash. I'm like, you want to clean the neighborhood? She's like, sure. I purchased rakes. We have shovels. We've got everything to clean out the flower beds and take off because I can't, just can't stand looking at it. I don't understand why it doesn't bother other people. How can people pass it by? I, mean, I don't. Okay. I get how you can pass it by. I think it's a lot easier to pass it by if it's not your neighborhood, mm-hmm. even though I, I'm twitchy in other people's neighborhoods. Oh. I want to pick it up. But if again, if you aren't going to have a place to wash your hands soon, it's gross. I don't know. I pick up bottles of urine all the time. Oh, you pick, I leave those, yeah. No, I pick them up because <laughs> it's still trash. I pick them up and I hold them out way far away yeah. from me and like get them into the... Um, trash bin. I might even empty them. I don't know. It depends on my mood. But walking with the dog really gets me just seeing it. I can't keep walking by the same stuff. Yeah. And people walk past it. And my, my little rule of thumb is if it's not mine, pick it up anyway. That's like a nice little rule. You know, there was, there, it's, you just reminded me that there was some funny thing that someone used to say about, someone said about me once, uh, ages ago, I mean, like 30 years ago, that that if I dropped a piece of trash on the ground, I'd feel, Alexis would feel so guilty that she'd go pick up two pieces later just mm. to make up for it. Yeah. And I didn't take it as an insult at all. I thought it was funny. I was like, yeah, probably. But I would never drop anything on the ground. I remember a, a couple of years ago was the first time, maybe it was a year ago, the first time, like someone invited me to the beach and I didn't go. And that day, for I don't remember why, but that day instead I went to the park and picked up litter. And as I'm coming back home, I thought, how many people do I know would prefer to go to the park and pick up litter than go to the beach? Not many. You're crazy. But then this summer, or maybe it's, I don't know, recently, I was like, of course, every day I, I would always choose going to the park and pick up litter over going to the beach. Maybe not always, but that is like. That's, it's a very rewarding. It is rewarding. It's incredibly satisfying. I take my child to a soccer game and I grab some gloves, which are now permanently handy because of COVID. And I walk around all the soccer fields, again, like the crazy lady, picking up all the trash and no one else picks it up. I'm like, you're all sitting on your butts. The game hasn't started yet. I don't really worry about the other people because it's just a waste of time because there's so many criticisms I have about the way everyone in America behaves and God knows maybe the world. But I walk around the field and I pick up all the, bot- all the Gatorade bottles, all the, the twist ties that used to hold the nets on the mm-hmm. thing and they've fallen off, everything. I pick up everything. I, Happy to do it. I once was passing by a cafe and I just, there's a, a trash can, it's, it's uh, Rosencrantz on uh, Christopher Street and Grand Avenue. So it's right on the corner from my place. And this garbage can is always overflowing. And I've gone in, the, in there and said, can you not give out so much disposable stuff? And they're like, oh, what can we do? It's a pandemic. I'm like, you know that you can, anyway, I, I don't want to get in with them because it, that's actually not going to go anywhere. So I don't, I didn't actually say that last part. But one time I'm, I'm picking up the litter that's like bubbling over out of the trash can into the street. 
And this particular time, there's a lot. So I'm putting it all in there. And I turn and face the people at the cafe and I say, I play in my head when I'm, I'm like always improving. What One day I'm going to say. The right thing. I'm <laughs> gonna perfect. Say, it's a, oh, yeah. At the cafe, I was saying something like, see, now I want to start with, it's a free country. There's no law against it, but you don't have to get the disposable stuff. You can bring your own mugs, stuff like that. And people have pointed out, one day I'm probably going to go to Washington Square Park with a table, a card table, and I'll put up a sign and, and, and bring my two years worth of garbage in one bag. And I'll say, you know, this is two years worth of garbage. Ask me about it. Someone gave me that idea. So I'm not approaching them. The people approach me, so I'm not getting their business. But I really want to sometime just say to a bunch of people, like often if I'm waiting for the light, then if there's litter, I'll pick it up. If I'm in a hurry or whatever, because I'm waiting for the light to change. Yeah, you know, sure. And sometimes you're like, thank you. Oh, we got to get into that, what, what people say. Yeah. But, but I want to say, it's a free country. You do not have to pick anything up. Totally fine. There's no reason you have to. But why not? It's, I guess the question for me is, why don't you want to? They'll hear a question of like trying to make them feel guilty because sure. they'll feel guilty, but that's not the goal. No, it's, like, it's not the goal because it's not going to, they're just going to push back if you do that, I think. Now, the day that we met was, I believe, the day after, yeah, it was Monday, right? So it's a day, or Sunday, the day after the Pride Parade. Monday. And I had just that morning gone, and oh, you've, I don't think you've seen it yet, the video that I did of, of the pictures that I took in the park. I'll show that after we record. And it was what a disaster. It, dis- it was disgusting. I don't think I. I have nothing. I mean, negative anything against black people, white people, Asian people, gay people. I don't care, but I hate a parade <laughs> because it, it, there's nothing. To, those parades lead. What are you proud of that you've made a mess? If you can't behave proudly, then it's not a pride parade. I know it doesn't, I know that I'm not trying to really equate everything, but you're making a disgusting mess. So do, so it's Puerto Rican Day. Every single parade leaves a disaster behind it. And I, I it makes me furious. Yeah. Furious. What has happened to us that this is like, this is People how we celebrate. Drop like it where they pizza want boxes all over and, 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 you know, some might say, oh, but you need water. First of all, there, there may be some old people need water, but really you can go for a couple hours without, I mean, you can go for a day without water. I grew no up in a world have. where there was no water until yeah. you got to a sink. There's this weird frou-frou thing when we were kids, like Europeans get bottled water. Why would anyone do that? And now we think that if we don't have bottled water on us all the time, it's, it's unhealthy not to have it. You know what's unhealthy is that plastic bottle, single-use yeah. plastics. That's what I tell everybody all the time. I'm like, single, I, I, I like try to, at least get all my friends to change. I'm like, dude, single-use plastics. You're going to drink that? You're throwing it away. It's not going to get recycled. It's like one out of a billion get recycled. I know that everybody cries from the ocean videos and everything's a disaster. And then you go and you buy a whole case of little tiny bottles of water. I go to the dermatologist. Yes, vein, whatever. And they try to give me a pill. And here's, I'm like, don't open that water. Yeah, they will. And you like have to stop that. Don't. Yes, don't. And I, I mean, I've been saying no, but I don't need a bag. I don't. And it's, it's like muscle memory. People are, before they ban plastic bags in New York, whatever, they're automatically putting it in the bag. But I'll be, I don't need a bag. I don't need a bag. It's okay. I don't need a bag. I don't need a bag. Yeah. And then they'll put it in the bag and I'll be like, it's okay. I'll take that out of the bag and maybe you can reuse this bag. And I'm nice about it. I'm very nice about it because 
it's just their job, you know, and they're not thinking. But I wish people thought. I was at the dentist in my first appointment since the pandemic. And I, I, it's been so long that I forgot to bring a cup with me so that when they, oh, you know, the they little like cup. switch, mm-hmm. so I'm like, I have to go over to the sink over there and use my cup, my hand to get it. And you're saying that like, you're describing yourself. I think you're as like the crazy lady, but you're, they're crazy. I agree. I don't, I mean, I'm just saying, or, I'm just saying what people probably think of me. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if they think that. It's fine it's a, with me. Something I think a lot, or something I say a lot when, if someone thanks me is I'll say, um, today I'm the only one, today, what, how do I put it? It's like, today I'm the only one who picks stuff up, but someday everyone will. Now, no one at this stage has Or been, not drop it in the first. Here's, what, here's where it comes from. It's not who drops it. That's a big deal. But once you have the plastic bottle, it's going to end up in the ocean. It may, it may go by way of a, of a um, landfill, but those landfills, sea levels are going to rise and they're going to flood the landfills. It's all going to go out in the oceans. And so here's the two places that I see. Like, I think of it like a bicycle. Bicycle, you steer it with the handlebars and you pedal. The pedaling is when we put our money down, when we put the money down to buy bottled water or to buy, you know, packaged whatever, that's the pedaling. That's what drives it. The direction of producing all the plastic, that's the boardrooms. So when they say, you know what? Drill some more oil. We need some more money. So we'll, we'll, uh, we're selling some of the hydrocarbons into in, uh, the fossil fuels into gasoline, but let's also do the plastic. So that's the system. And everyone who thinks they're not a part of it, or it's like, oh, it's these rivers in Asia. I'm sure you've heard that a lot of people say that like there's seven rivers in Asia, which produce like 90% of the ocean plastic. I don't believe it. But I don't believe that. Say it's, that's the case. I don't believe that at all. It's the, once it's made, so that's Exxon and Dow and DuPont and BP and Chevron. Once, it's, once we've taken the oil out, that's the faucet. Asia's still poor compared to us. They're not, they're not drinking a lot of bottled water actually yet. I'm and sure it's increasing, but not like us. People say it's a waste management issue. It's not waste. No, it's not. I mean, that's part. I mean, that's that's aesthetically part of it, or, you know, at least it's a little part of it, but that's not the real problem. Yeah, how, how do you see it? Every time I pick up a candy wrapper that's for a bite-sized piece of candy, and it's made out of mylar, for lack of a better term, and it's never going anywhere. It is going to stay for all eternity for this tiny one-bite piece of candy I'm just sad. I'm just sad. I'm like, why? They used to wrap it in wax paper. Like, I, 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 I'm so angry with people. Well, I mean, candy's been around. Like, you'd go to the candy yeah, I guess, store. Yeah. I guess you'd get a bag of candy, a paper bag. People see a physical activity, but I feel like this is an insight into, it's a dark part of the mind that says, I have this can. I don't want this can. I'm going to put it on this horizontal surface here. Maybe it's a fire hydrant. Maybe it's a windowsill. Maybe it's a little corner. Now it's not a problem anymore. Not for me anyway. Well, I'd rather someone used a can, by the way. Mm-hmm. Because at least that's easily, much more easily recyclable and et cetera. Do, do you also explore the mind of someone? I mean, there's ignorance. So maybe someone just really has no clue, which is pretty tough considering how much information is out there. I don't think people... I had a friend go crazy on me yesterday on the phone because 
I criticized um, the Little Island, that new park in Manhattan on the river. And he went berserk and said he didn't care about the masses and they're all idiots and no one knows how to read. And I have to say, I totally felt like that when I was 20. But the older I get and the more information I have, the more I know that we did it. To, we, as a society, made sure that happened to everyone, made sure they couldn't read. We let it happen. The people that are privileged let it happen to the rest of the people so that they can, you know, bag groceries and, and we can live in big fancy houses and not they don't know how to read and therefore... They do not listen to podcasts with information or, or public radio with information. They don't know any better. Am I reading you right that the, as other people would say it's pointless because it's like a finger in the dike, but that it teaches you, you learn, you, the doing I don't care if it's the, I don't care. I know it's pointless. I mean, I know it's, I know that unless policy changes, I'm not saving the planet, but I can't stop myself. I care about the fact that there's garbage on my street. I don't want the garbage on my street. I've always wanted to bag groceries actually for at least for a part time, just so I can look at what people buy. I've always found that to be fascinating. And then I can judge them unfairly. (laughs) By the way, I remember maybe one of the first times I really picked up garbage was right after 9-11. And I lived in, so 2001, and I lived in Tribeca. And the smoke, the wind hadn't shifted yet, so I was still in town because I had to leave finally because I couldn't breathe. And there was no garbage pickup. And people are still balancing all their bottles and stuff on top of this unbelievably overflowing pile of garbage in every garbage bin. And so I got huge garbage bags from my building and I started emptying all the garbage bin bins into big bags and bagging it up for whenever they were going to pick up garbage again. And people would say nice things and I would just think, you could do it too. Yeah, what are some things that, that let's, let's explore this one because we were talking about that the other day on the street. Of- Everyone, rarely someone will say, I do that too sometimes or I do that too, rarely. And people will say thank you. I'm not that interested in thank you. I don't mean to belittle the people. I mean, it's a kind thing to say. Mm-hmm. Mostly people don't say, I'm not, I'm always with my earbuds in. I'm not looking to talk particularly. Mm-hmm. But one lady recently, I was walking down the street and I'm just as bitchy as the next female. We've been raised to be that way somehow. And I'm thinking what's wrong with her physically because it's all a competition. And I'm judging her. And she walks by and she goes, you are just beautiful for doing that. And I was like, I'm such an asshole. (laughs) Because she didn't know what you were thinking. No, Uh, no. But you did. Oh, I did. I'm a horrible person. And, And I was taught a lesson that day by a much nicer person than I am who said, you are, that is such a beautiful thing you're doing. Thank you. I've had people say thank you. I've had people offer me one time when I was at a street corner, some guy was like, Thank you. And he offered me some candy. And I was like, Wrapped I don't, candy, I don't want, wrapped yeah. in mylar. Yeah. So I was like, Well, I don't want the plastic. <laughs> and no one has said, I'm going to do that too. It's really weird that people walk by and they say, Oh, I'm glad you're doing that or something yeah. positive. People 
will say, you know, we do that every weekend, blah, 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 over there. Do you want to join us? And I'm like, no, I've got plenty to do right here. I don't need to go somewhere. Another funny story about cleaning up is I'm a big reader and always have been. Never really got Huckleberry Finn. It just didn't do anything for me. However, I was in the park with my children and maybe maybe just my daughter, maybe my son was too little at that point to be walking around. And I, she loved those little mini, my friend bought her those little mini brush and dust pans. Mm-hmm. And we were in what I called the Filthy Park, which is um, a kid's playground on Hudson and Bleaker. I don't know where it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's near Abingdon Square Park. So that would the dirty park. We called it the dirty park. Oh, is it kind of sunken? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah across from Whitehurst. Time. Yes. Yeah. Dirty park. So we're in the dirty park and I start shoveling all the sand back into the sandbox and picking up the garden. I'm, so I'm sweeping with the little play and all the kids come over that are being ignored by their parents, by the way. We're just sitting there reading the newspaper, and I know it's tough, and I have help, so I'm very fortunate. And I, so when I'm with my kids, I have the energy to pay attention to them mm-hmm. usually. Uh, but I, all the kids came over and wanted to help with the brush and dustpan and cleaning up all the sand. They were totally into it because it looked like fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't say do you. I mean, the worst thing ever is you have to do it. Then that sucks the fun right out of it. Yeah. Um, or any pleasure that you get. If you, that's why I always offer it to my daughter as a choice. You want to come? If she says no, I don't give her a hard time. I'm like, okay, I might go out for a little while. I'll be back. With dirty hands. With <laughs> dirty hands. Garbage. Is, is it for everyone? I, I think, I, here's my dream, is more and more people start to pick up litter. So maybe it'll be three in New York soon. <laughs> maybe. I've, and one lady said she did it too. So, you know, there might be three. Yeah, there could be dozens of us out of 8 million. Then that'll start happening. And I, the, the real lesson for me is that the more that I pick it up, the more it enables me not to get stuff packaged in the first place. The more that I pick stuff up, I'm in no way believing this is, it's just moving it around. Sure. No, it's not solving the problem. In fact, if everybody was picking it up, it wouldn't be good enough. Not only that, there's no place to put it. Have you seen the mountains of garbage in India? And No, the ones that people live off of? Yeah. No, I mean, yes. There's, a, there's this documentary with the pickers in, in Brazil of the largest dump in the world. And so the trucks come in nonstop and they dump off this huge thing. And then the pickers go in and dig in for what's valuable in it. And they can make a living off of this. And there's a lot of pickers. And it's impossible not to look at this as an American and think, I hope that doesn't happen here. And then you see the people carrying the, the I mean, it's just. People who go through and get the bottles, you mean? Yeah, the bottles and the cans. But also every garbage bag, certainly around Washington Square Park, they all open them up because they know there's a pretty good chance of there being food in it. And so there's garbage strewn about. Like, forget about it, it might happen here. It's happening here. And yeah, so what I want is, for, you know, I dream that one day everyone will feel like when someone's like, here, have some water, and it's a bottle, that everyone is like recoils. What, are you joking? And I mean, I will go very thirsty on the street before I will get, if I forget to bring water with me, too bad. And that's what passes for suffering in today's world. <laughs> it is. Like, it's very sad. The same people who will praise Viktor Frankl 
I don't know who Viktor Frankl is. He lived through Auschwitz and wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, in which he wrote about, um, you can torture someone. You can, uh, someone can have incurable cancer, but you can't take away from someone that they can change their mindset and they can create meaning in anything. And so when he writes about living in Auschwitz, he writes about bliss and love and his, his thoughts of his wife and Diving Bell and the Butterflies, another book like that of this guy who... I know that because there was a movie. The movie, yeah. <laughs> so the guy was locked in. He you know, had a stroke, some you know unpredictable thing. And he wakes up and, and the end result is he, the only muscle he has voluntary control of is his left eyelid. And he writes a stunningly beautiful book. And I, I'm getting shivers just thinking about it. And, you know, imagine what happens when he's locked in. Every now and then, like, they put him on a bed and they go away for the weekend. I mean, maybe there's someone there to, like, change the bedpan, but they forget to turn on the TV. So you're sitting there for a weekend. All you can do is open your eye and close your eye. Or what about if the TV is playing something that's making you want to kill yourself more than you yeah. already want to kill yourself because all you have is one eyelid and it works. And his book is about love and his wife and beauty and the world and how lovely it is. And we need an eight ounce bottle of water. Like we're worse than four ounce bottle of water. There's no point for these things. It is horrible. And people are like, it's just for them. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. It's healthy. I'm like, not only that, but who knows what kind of sun or heat that bottle baked in and you're drinking out of it. That toxic bottle seeping into the water and God only knows what kind of water was put in it in the first place. And I'm so angry with people who like Fiji water. I'm like, really? Really? It needed to come from Fiji for you to be happy? Fuck. <laughs> I don't say anything unless they're a really good friend of mine. Then I say, what the f- with the Fiji water. Are you kidding? Anyway, there's this great company. I don't know if you know about it called Berkey. Okay, so they make these big stainless steel water filters. So uh, with these charcoal cylinders inside that filter the water. So that's what I use here because it's the tap water's fine, but I have got I've got kids and I'm going to filter it. So just to make sure. So it pulls out everything, and the filters last a few, couple years, depending. It just depends on how much water you drink, and it's great. It's it's totally great. And then you fill up your reusable bottle, and you always have water with you, and you know, so nice. No fucking Fiji water. What a horrible life you live now. It's the 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 burden of having to carry around. Of I know. It's so much trouble. People think that it's a burden. It's a chore. It's not. It's a joy. Yeah. Actually. I'm happy all the time that I have my own water in my own bottle. And you're drinking out of a a glass soda stream bottle that, unless I drop it on the floor, will last forever, you know, in a good way, forever. And I have soda. I use soda stream because I happen to be a addicted forever to bubbly water. So I use those reusable canisters and it's all good. I love it. And I love having my own water. It tastes better. It's free, I mean, comparatively free 
Yeah, is a Berkey water filter expensive? Yeah, you, your initial investment is a few hundred dollars or a couple of hundred dollars, and that's it. For years, you're done. So many people, I mean, I'm white, I'm male, I'm straight. People are like, oh, you're so privileged. You don't know what it's like to be in Flint, Michigan. And I'm like, you think I, you're giving me news like I didn't know about Flint, Michigan? Okay, if you're in Flint, Michigan, use bottled water. Fine. I mean, there's there's probably other solutions I haven't tried to solve that problem. But let's let them, let's say, okay, go for it. Have all your bottled water and have it paid for, you know, have it brought in because by the, by the municipal. There's got to be another way, by the way. Probably. But when we look at the systemic effect, the mindset of bottled water is what created that in the first place. True. It's, if we, at some point, we can say, well, there's dirty water somewhere in the world, so we must have bottled water everywhere. Or we could say the mindset of someone else has to deal with it later is what created it in the first place. And we have to get out of that. That, you know, maybe it's not my place in today's world to say, you know, in, in Montgomery, they walked a bit for a year to change the bus service. And it's hard. But the quote that always gets me is they spoke to this old woman. She was like in her 70s, I think. And they said, aren't you tired from all this walking? You could take the bus instead. She, has, she said, my feet's is tired, but my soul is at rest. And that's, I think, the joy that you're talking about. People, are, they, our, our tones of voice are not like joyful sounding, I think. No, but, but I, no, but... It, it's satisfaction. There's a satisfaction in doing it, quote unquote, the right way, the best way you can. And and when I pick up garbage, I'm reusing a bag. I'm, you know, I get stuff from Amazon. Yeah. Comes in a bag. I reuse that bag. I either put, if I drop something on the floor and it breaks, I don't want anybody to get cut. I put it in one of those bags that I've saved that has the little bubbles in it. Mm-hmm. I reuse Everything I can reuse. I take all my compost to the compost bin or I give it to my mother's chickens. I'm not as great as you are because I don't I have a tiny bag of garbage, but really try to keep it to a minimum. And I'm sad that I can only buy cottage cheese in a plastic container. I don't know how to avoid that, but I am mindful of it. And I try to avoid it. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Well, I think one of the big things, when people look at it from the outside, I don't view it as a moral issue. I view it, it's, it's not any more moral than like, it's just drinking water. And they don't realize we all draw our lines somewhere. Everyone is, we all pollute. I'm not saying not moral. get to zero. The world, is, in my opinion, is rapidly coming to a f***ing end. Does no one care? Does no one want to take responsibility? That too. I get, Like, do something. Do something. Try to do something. Turn off your idling car. I mean, I went out the other day and screamed at my mother's driver. Not literally, but 
figuratively screamed, because he was idling the car with all the windows down in 100-degree heat waiting for my mother. And I was like, what are you doing? Well, your mother likes it cold. I said, it gets cold in 10 seconds. It's a Mercedes. What's going to happen? You close the windows when she gets here and turn on the air conditioner. It's cold. I, I'm on it. I said, do you know? And, and I always... You know, because I know this person, I feel free to say what I want. I said, you know, the planet's dying, right? You know, you have a daughter, like care, turn off the car. Everyone who's out there thinking it won't make a difference what one person does. That's what makes a difference. It's like, it's the same with voting. It's oh, so obvious. If everybody does something, it makes a difference. A friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, I... I got these tea bags and I didn't know until after I'd purchased them. This is the most delicious toasted buckwheat Japanese tea and I'm totally addicted to it. And I'm going to have to buy it loose now. But it comes in these nylon tea bags because it's the best way for the water to go through, etc. So I cut open every single tea bag and I dump out the used tea into the compost and I throw away the stupid nylon bag. And my friend said, you know, it makes me want to kill myself when you do that. And I was like, makes me want to kill myself that you won't do that. Like, why is it so upsetting to you? It's only taken me two seconds. I got scissors right here. Yeah, what was I going to do otherwise? Like, I was going to throw, you know, yeah, he just, I, he's young. So he sort of has an excuse, but, and he doesn't intend on having children. So he's a little bit apathetic about the state of our our existence, but I'm like, why is that bothering you? I let it go. I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Sorry. This morning I was riding my bike out to pick up, pick the mulberries out in the Rockaways. And everyone can do this calculation. It's like, what's my time worth? That it takes me an hour to ride out, then I'm there for an hour, and then I have an hour to ride back for a couple handfuls of berries. But I can just go to the store. But you enjoy it. Exactly. So, like, if I, I could go to the store and just buy those berries... What am I? What do I want to do with my time? Other really? Where do you buy mulberries? <laughs> yeah, mulberries are hard to find because I think that they don't. Nobody uh, eats. And especially the white ones, they disintegrate really fast. Oh, is that why? And you could say, Josh, you could use that time to do other things. People what would go I to the gym. Do? People drive exactly. an hour to go to the gym, work out, and then drive an hour or half an hour or twenty minutes home. You rode your bike. You got your workout in. You yeah. like doing it. So and. Some people will fly to the Amazon and take a tour all the way up to get some food that's only available there, and they don't get what grows here. I what love, food grows on the Amazon that people are so interested in? I don't know. I, I'm just saying, oh. I, mean, <laughs> I can tell you the <laughs> last one. The last, Something the last nobody place, wants to eat, I think. Yeah. The last place that I flew was France. Well, I flew into England and out of France, and I, I, was just, I just went to like the market there. And this might have been actually the last – food, the last, um, non-vegan stuff I had, I, I had, I just went to like the local, like the corner market and bought some cheese, some camembert. And that cheese was so much better. It was, it was really delicious. Of course. And the time before that I was in, um, Bangkok and I had some chikus, which is this fruit that my parents met in India. So I spent a couple a year of my childhood in India and I've been there a couple of times. And, but chikus, when was the last time you had something you hadn't had for like 45 years? So I had these chikus and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing, right? And so I can see people flying around doing that. I, at that time, the purpose of going to Bangkok was to eat Thai food in Thailand. Actually, the reason, people don't get this. The reason I've learned to sail 
I ask people, a nice little thing in my leadership class, I tell people like how I stopped flying and then I learned to sail because I want to go to Thailand and get Thai food there. And then after I say just those words to them, I say, why, why do I not fly? And they say, because you want to save the world and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm sorry, why did I learn to sail? And they say, oh, because you, you, you save the environment, you want to influence people and lead. And I'm like, no, it's because I like Thai food. I told you exactly <laughs> why. And people realize this internal, like. Yeah, but you, come on. I mean, you, you, you don't want to get there on a plane. If it weren't for the Thai food, I'd be fine on North America. Right. I've had Thai food in California. I've had it here. It's not what it is there. Yeah, I'd like to have Thai food too, but yeah, not enough to. I, I think I'm, I'm afraid I'd find Thailand very depressing. Oh, the, well, let me finish this thought. Is that So I've been around the world chasing great food. These berries are no less than any of that. I, would, I'm, I have no problem with never, ever getting at that, that again. And if I could go back, of course, I can't make this happen, but I... If I could go back and never have that in the first place, given the world that we live in today, I would make that choice. If I could go back in time and undo that. I'd much rather live in a world in which we're all... Here's something. When we learn about the founding fathers of this country, like Jefferson and Franklin, you know, they would go to France and go to England. They were going all over the place by boat. I never thought of like Franklin as not getting around. But today, that's like too much for people. To sail. Well, it's also, I find it scary because I grew up as a child of Jaws. Uh-huh. And every time my parents did anything with me as a child that was water related, like canoeing or sailing, there would be, we would capsize because they didn't know what they were doing. And so I was slightly traumatized. And so I, the idea of sailing across the ocean, it's like, no way. No. So that's your thing. I think you. I think if you lived in a world in which that was the only way to go, you might. I might. might have had a different childhood. Oh, if I had a different childhood, I'm, I probably would feel differently about it. But it's, I, it's, I was scared all the time, so I. So I think the food around here is more than just fine. Like right, right now, now, I'm you going could nuts with the berries. Well, the ingredients I, doesn't. Matter. Yeah, I think it matters that like if the lemongrass was picked like 24 hours before, it's probably better. Probably. But what I do is I get the stuff that's here. I, in the farmer's market, I remember maybe it was last summer or the summer before, there's a place that sells, what they sell is horseradish jellies. Oh. They also have big horseradish roots. Sure. It's like the size of my arm. Yeah. Five bucks, I buy this horseradish. And it's it's like, I mean, the joke is always it clears your sinuses, but I learned no, it I subtly. It. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And so every every time I go to the farmer's market, there's something I haven't seen in 10 months. And maybe after, I've only been at this like not quite 10 years, maybe 50 years from now, if I'm, if I'm still around and, and there's still food being produced in this area that it hasn't like been totally wrecked, then I might be bored of it. But there's discovery all the time. And when we have this fear of missing out of if we don't get the stuff over there, but we don't know what's here. Me in February and March, when the last greens were not in the farmer's market for months, what do I got? You got beets and rutabagas and, and parsnips and turnips. Oh, there's nothing like a good rutabaga. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. So what I have then, I'm not tasting some Senegalese food, but th- when you go to Senegal to get Senegalese food, you're getting the local food there. Sure. My experience eating local food here puts me more in contact with them, with everywhere, than someone who goes to 
there to drop in like they're going to the zoo and now they taste the stuff there, but they're going to the touristy place anyway. And then when they're here, they're home, they're going to taste every food of the world, but it's not actually the food from the other place. And they're not eating the food from here. They don't know their farmers. Right. And the highlight of my summer is Labor Day. There's the bus takes me up to where the CSA is, uh, the farm where I get my, get it delivered from. And I know the farmers and they know me now. And I don't eat for like 24 hours before I go there because usually, like if I'm lucky, they will have distributed all the um, cherry tomatoes. Uh-huh. But there's always some that haven't been picked. So they're just sitting there. Oh, uh, there's, there's nothing. It's the only way to eat a tomato. It's right. A cherry tomato is right off the vine. I, I put it in my mouth. Instead of picking it and putting it in my mouth, I put it in my mouth and chew it while it's on the vine in case that one second <laughs> loses a little bit of flavor. And it's Same playful. With, this is fun. Yeah. There's also, I mean, even, even gooseberries, like, are gross when you buy them. But if you eat a gooseberry off the plant, mm-hmm. they're amazing. But I feel like once they're picked, meh. People think you got to go around the world to get this stuff. And it's like, it's right here. It's everywhere. It's yeah, there's people growing amazing things all the time, everywhere, hidden little pockets. Oh, now I'm going to take this lull to switch over to what I was talking about before. So when you act on the environment, what motivates you? Not the outcome in the future, but what, like, what do you think about when you think about the environment? Mm, what do you mean? What do I think about when I think about the environment? I'm waking up in the middle of the night wanting to throw up. That's how I'm th- feeling about the environment. What makes you want to throw up? Is it? Fear for my children, and I would have rather died cold anyway. Death by ice rather than fire would have been my preference. It's a Mm. nicer way to go. Um, You just fall asleep. You know, I live in a very fancy apartment. It probably uses a lot of energy. I do everything I can to use as little energy as I can in this apartment just because why not? Why not do your best? Let's say we were successful. What would, what would nature be? Or what was it when you were a child? Okay, so, um, like, just, I went to this little camp that this woman had. Eight kids. Like, you could never get away with it now. No, you know, just eight kids, and we rode horses all the time in a town with no, basically, very couple paved roads. There was a general store, post office, gas station, and that was the only single business in town and you know there was a dairy farm nearby and just the air there and getting up we'd get up at 4 30 in the morning to get the horses fit on the dirt roads before it got hot like and then I, I happened to go to high school in Vermont like whenever I think of like the perfect place I think of Vermont and then I look at my phone and I look at what the weather is in Vermont and then I want to cry because it's 98 degrees. When, when you think of Vermont, are you do you have an image because I I think of maybe mountains, but I, I also think, think of um, valleys. I think of dirt roads and maple trees and like shady, breezy. And I used to I was on teams, but I, I was never a competitor, but I loved to run on the dirt roads and I would like on the weekends I'd run 11 miles just because it felt good. And during the week, I might not have as much time, but I just loved it there. I loved it. It was so clean, and it was just, it was amazing. What kind of emotions did you feel? Was it? When I think back on it? Yeah. 
Or the, did you feel at the time? Yeah. At the time, you know, I'm, I'm always been an oddball. So it was, it wasn't, school was not a joyous experience for me. I didn't, it wasn't, I don't like having a lot of, I, I'm not going to have a lot of friends. I'll have two good friends rather than a lot of acquaintances. I can't stand parties. I don't know what to do with myself. I'd rather work at a party than go to a party. Uh, I'd rather read a book than go to a club. I, every, every time I've ever been to a club or done anything like that in my quote-unquote youth, every time I got home, I was like, I could have just been here reading. I would have had such a better time. So I, I, I wasn't happy then, but I appreciated the beauty. And I'm thinking when you were running 11 miles, is it like free? Is it curious? Is it? It was, um, I, I think most I would guess many, many uh, distanced kind of runners must have, they just, you go into some other place, pass all that time. And would that, is that different when you're running? I mean, you could run in Central Park or run along the river here. Yeah, when I first moved to New York, I ran in Central Park. It was okay when I could run, if I ran at like 5 a.m. when there were no people. But once it becomes like this people thing, I'm not interested anymore. I liked running by myself. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I broke my ankle very, very, very badly. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever run anywhere ever again. I hadn't been running. I had just started trying to run again because my son likes to run occasionally. So I was trying to like pick it back up and then I broke my ankle. And so now I'm not sure that I'll ever run. But um, also running was a good, it was like a meditation. But then, it, then if you have a dog and you have to walk the dog, I find that that's also meditative. So there it becomes too much time thinking, quiet thinking, which I, I then it's just too much. So now I'd rather get on the treadmill and hike and I can watch a movie, which otherwise I wouldn't get to watch. And I, I bet that you would trade the treadmill in the movie for Vermont. Yeah, sure. And when I'm picking up litter... I'm thinking of my sledding hill where I grew up. I, I happen to grow up near the best sledding hill in the world in Philadelphia. And, you know, now there's an, I, I do so much environmental that it, it's all very interconnected. But at the beginning, there was really a sense of, of this, this, what was there when I was a child that is disappearing. And it's still, you know, I think about, that's what motivates me. Is the hill still there? Do they have any snow? So I, I talk about this in my third TEDx talk. The road... Wissickon Avenue between my house and the hill, they kept widening it and it's safer and safer. And they put this black pitch on the top with a white, bright, white lines and bright yellow. So now a car that wants to turn left onto my little street, now the cars can pass without having to wait. So it's safer, but the hill is farther away. I mean, the hill is the same distance away, but it's more, there's a barrier, a bigger barrier, but the, that's small. I mean, every year when I would go back, it would be, something would change. There's a the other direction. There was a small little. Uh, how do I describe it? There's like the road ended, and then there's a staircase down, and then there's another road below. And where that staircase was, there was like it was all overgrown with plants. And one time I came back, and there were two townhouses there that people had built that had like an entrance on the top and an entrance on the bottom, and and it was just developed. And so it looks lovely. And that little place where we used to play is not available to kids anymore. And but the bigger thing is that. I, you know, I had this flexible flyer sled and that one of the things that made the, sl- the hill so great was that it would like level off and go down, level oh, yeah. off and go that's, down. So we yeah, could that's get, key. 
so we could get we could get air, you know. Yeah. And it broke it once, and I had to like saw the wood and drill the holes and put it back together again with new wood. And I don't remember the last time I saw a flexible flyer on sale. Why sell something that the, the winters in Philadelphia once or twice a year you might get a good sled, but they just have these plastic saucers that the kids go down. And there's nothing to it. It's yeah, but it's and not, they throw well, away. I'm sure at the end of the season they're scary as all hell. I almost broke. So after I was almost re- not, I'll never be totally recovered, but almost recovered from my ankle injury. I went sledding this winter uh, with my kids, and I let. I was like, "Don't let your legs fly out to the side. Don't let your leg." So I let my leg fly out to the side and wrenched, bruised <laughs> the bone in my other leg and the knee. And so now, now I'm scared to go sledding. I'm like, I can't do anything. For the first injury was, um, what was I doing? Playing soccer with my son. Not that I know how, but I was trying. And then I tried not to step on him and I broke my ankle. And then I went sledding with them and I bruised the bone in my knee and like strained every tendon. So Yeah, I'm sure I had lots of injuries and when I'm as a little boy, like, yes. Yeah, then it's cool, but yeah. And carrying the sled up the hill and all the dogs running around. That's my favorite part, actually, is carrying it up the hill. Yeah. Did you, I mean, carrying it or pulling it on a rope behind? I don't care either way. Because, yeah, it just. We, we I mean, it it's funny and, watching my kids just, they just, they're like the wrong boots and they just keep falling flat on their faces. <laughs> Coming up the hill, boom, flat on their face. Boom, it was too slippery. But even skiing, I would, I am much more interested in, I've never done it, but I'm much more interested in climbing up the mountain to ski down. I want to do that. Yeah, I want to, I want to do that sometime. That would be much more amusing for me. And then I get all my exercise. I'm sitting on the chairlift. First of all, I'm cold, miserable. I can't stand being sitting there and just shivering. And um, it's just, it's so satisfying to climb up that mountain and then ski down. I think, yeah, I think going down the mountain after I've climbed it is going to be much more satisfying. I'll get one, maybe two runs in the day. Sure. And those runs will be worth more. Will be, I, I will feel in my heart more. Just like if I sail across enough, if I have one more Literally meal and my, figuratively, by the way. Literally and figuratively what? Feel your heart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and if I, if I have only one trip to Thailand in the rest of my life, that will be worth more than if I went there every weekend, which I'm sure some people are doing right now. Ugh. So th- going back to Vermont or your, your, the feelings that you have from there, and if you also have some sense of that when you're picking up garbage or... I don't know. Well, I want to offer you something. I'm, I'm gonna, I invite you at your option to think of something new to do that you're not already doing, uh, that you do yourself. Yeah to act on those feelings of the running in Vermont, the sledding, the skiing that you do with your own hands. And most people, it takes a bit of going back and forth because most people have thought like, here's what I, I do, what I, I balanced what I do and what I don't do. But usually we come up with something and I'll have you on a second time if you, if you, if you accept the invitation to share how it went. And it could be, you know, it doesn't matter if it's big or small. It's just if it's acting on your feelings of, you know, what nature means to you. I don't know what that would be. Yeah, it takes it. No one does. And so, because, but it usually comes out. And sometimes people are like, can you give me an idea? But I, I, I can't give the idea because then it's, you're doing my thing. And you want to give it a shot? Well, I'll try. So does anything come to mind? Any direction? 
Well, it's like, I don't know if this applies. I want to start knitting. I have drawers full of yarn because buying the yarn is easy. Sitting still Mm -hmm. for me is not that easy. So I haven't started knitting because I can't sit still long enough. And I don't mean that I'm hyperactive or anything like that, not to give the wrong impression, but there's always something else that needs doing that needs me to, I need to move to do it. Is the knitting because you want to get sweaters and socks out of it or that you want to? I want to create something. So this would fit the bill if you're not getting something produced by something else. You know, it's not about, I can buy any sweater. I, you know, not to be obnoxious. I can get, buy anything I basically want within reason. Not literally, by the way. Don't not blow it out of proportion. But any sweater that I want, I can get. But I'd like to make my own sweater. If you made yourself a sweater and still got all the sweaters you would have gotten otherwise, it wouldn't be decreasing. Or if you were it would be special, meeting- it would be a different sweater. That would be the the sweater I made. Okay, that's me. That means something to me. Because a lot of people, they will. All right, I'm going to do it in terms of power. Okay. People create more solar, but they don't. Close, shut down the coal and then everyone uses solar and coal so if you only make a new sweater but you don't also not get a sweater that you would oh i wouldn't need to get the the uh, i can't even find the one that i want to make okay so that would then that would fit the bill as long as you're decreasing something sure i i know exactly what i want to make and I, it's not going to be easy and um i won't have to i it doesn't i don't even know if it exists do you know how to knit I used to, but it's going to take practice before I can knit. And the yarn I want to knit with is not good for beginners, so I have to relearn. Okay. Yeah, my mom, I learned how to knit from my mom. and, oh. and uh, um, I know how to weave and spin. Really? So you can get just, you can start with wool? I could, but it's so itchy. Mm. <laughs> I'd rather it, use a, I'd rather use cotton or, or something like that. If I make, I believe I can quote you on this. You don't want to be itchy. You want to be bitchy. <laughs> I don't mind being bitchy that much, but Uh, itchy, no way, man. It's funny. I had a guest recently and she loved, she lives in California and she gets um, this hummus that she loves and it comes in plastic containers and she's vegan and she's really non-polluting and, and, and she says, all right, you know, I'm going to make hummus from scratch. And I said, oh, my mom makes this really great hummus. So now my mom and her started emailing. And uh, sharing recipes and stuff. So I was like, oh, I wonder if this could happen again with my mom. My mom, by the way, when I did, well, I don't want to get into my parents' stuff because that'll like dig up a whole other bag of worms. But I'm partly thinking like, I haven't knit in probably 20 years, 30 years. But I got pretty good at it. Like I could do cables and dropping stuff and adding stuff. And I just have real, I knit ridiculously tightly. I have to learn how to not grip the needles like they're, I don't know, my lifeline and then yank that yarn. I have to learn how to like somehow get it looser. I don't know if you're trying to make me laugh, but I don't know if the listeners can hear this because her, her knuckles were just white yeah, as she was showing. How, <laughs> I, I, I actually knit in a, I was knitting a dog sweater in a knitting club like 30 years ago. Like the ladies sit around and knit and they would just look, they, they didn't know what to do with me. They're like, you got to relax your hands. And I'm like, I can't. Just can't. I can't relax them. So, so if if the if your 
task is to, or your challenge is to knit a sweater, how long do you think it would be? And, and I, it might be a year. I have to find time that I can sit inside and knit. Anyway, I want to do a halter top. Okay. <laughs> Out of like silk. Silk. Wow. That's it's, fine. Yeah. It's going to be a fine needle and a fine thread. I, but I'm going to, I'll start by, I, I'd like to knit my kids something like my daughter knit me a sweater. Oh, cool. So she's way ahead of the game. Well, I guess your family's kind of into. Well, during the pandemic, stuff. what we, one of the nannies that has been with my children since they were born is uh, Patricia, and she's an amazing knitter and crocheter. And she, so she taught Jude to knit um, during the pandemic too, because you know you got to think of more stuff to do. So if we want to have, if I wanted to have a second episode to ask how things are going. With the knitting? Yeah. <laughs> how long would it I'll be before, you. if it wasn't a, um, like it doesn't have to be completely finished, but like the first time something's done. That, well, well, let's say maybe September, maybe I'll take some, we go to Maine for a few, like six weeks. Maybe I'll have a chance to knit there. Right. So if I asked you after that. If I, if I were to ask you then on, and we were recording and say, like, how, how's that going? Uh-oh. Now I feel pressured. That might ruin it for me. I don't want you to feel pressured doing it. Because I don't think you feel pressured to pick up litter. No. I don't want it to be something where you feel like um, yeah, is a burden. We'll see. I'll try. We'll give a shot. I mean, I want to do it. I just. It may be that you come back and say it sucked or yeah. this whole, like, it was going to be awesome. White then, knuckles. Yeah, yeah do it. <laughs> I'm not trying to bring to, this is for the listeners. Also, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm not, sometimes the guests think I'm trying to do, they don't think this way, but they think I'm trying to do some Disney version where it's like, see, all I have to do is this. It's easy. No. But I want people to come back and sometimes say, oh, I thought it was like Beth Comstock. She was, she was a CMO of GE and she's on Nike's board. And she's like, she said, all right, I'm going to go for a week without using any plastic. And I'm thinking that's the biggest thing I've heard. And she comes back a week later. And this is why I like leaders on the show is because she comes back and says, I failed. I had no idea. I was like half an hour into it. I'm like, can't do it. And that's what's valuable. We don't need more people saying like, here's one little thing you can do for the environment. Like, that's fine. But sharing personal experience, I think is much more. And and the personal experience can go one way or can go the other. I'm not looking for you to come back and say, oh, it's so easy. Everyone should start knitting now and stop buying anything from H&M. Guarantee that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a really good recipe for um, hummus, though, with miso in it. It mm. was really good, coincidentally. I made it last weekend. And is there any left? No. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Give you the recipe, though. Do you get the beans, the chickpeas from dry and pressure cook them? Hello. Yes. Yeah. Right, high five. I don't, <laughs> I don't pressure cook anymore, though, because it just gave me a headache. Mm. I, I soak and I just cook them on the stove. I just can't deal with the pressure cooker anymore for some reason. It didn't appeal to me. Well, when, when, when you eventually, if we record next time at my place, I maybe you'll be here instead. But I mentioned the famous no packaging begins to, which actually, when I texted you to say I'll be over in about an hour, I had just put it in. So it's like finished in my apartment. Sure, it's I'm finished. Like, I know, but... And, but with, if you get if, once you figure out the timing, then it's a great thing. But until you're perfect at it, then you what? release the pressure and you take out a bean. It's not done. Then you have to start all over again and get the pressure back up. 
And I was just like, I can't do wow. it anymore. Yeah, I figured it took me like six months to get that See? far. Yeah. Annoying. It was annoying. What I didn't get right about the time here was not the time to cook the beans, but the time to eat it. <laughs> so <laughs> I I did all you that writing. The, the issue is I'm hungry. Oh, you're starving. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm making pea soup, but it's not quite finished yet. I made pea soup. You did? Yeah. Split pea with oh, I'm making- kale and uh, carrots. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, there's a zucchini in there. They called summer squash for some reason. I call it zucchini. Yeah, I, yeah. Then, I don't. I don't. Did, is the yellow one a summer squash and the green one a zucchini? I can never figure it out. Yeah, this one is yellow. My children hate zucchini. I'm like, how can you hate zucchini? It's perfect. Oh, one time I was. I'm going to tell you a zucchini story. I was at. Um, I was visiting someone in Virginia, and I had to hurry from to catch the train, and. I asked them, is there any place around here? It was walking distance from there to the train, a bit of a walk. I said, is there any place around here where I can get some unpackaged food? And they said, uh, not really. They, they didn't know, but there was a little deli. So I go in the deli and uh, they did have like a few little things. So there's, I look at the fruit. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a mango. And, but what else? Because a mango is not very filling. And I look around and all there were, were two or three zucchinis. I'm like, well, that's what I got. And so I buy them and I wash them and then I go to the train station and it's just in time to get the train. And, oh, wait, while I'm waiting for the train, there's some, a cute girl on the platform. So I start talking to her. And so we say, she's going to get off in Baltimore and I'm coming all the way to New York. So as we're riding up, I know at some point she's going to get off. And I say to her, I got the, I'm, I'm really hungry. And I got these zucchinis and I was planning on eating them like hot dogs. But even I think it's weird to just eat a zucchini. Now, I've been to parties where they have zucchini and a little dip and, you you know, eating raw zucchini, there's nothing weird about it. Yeah, I, I find it a little, I like it blanched a little bit. I would so, blanch it. Yeah, well, there's no, nowhere to <laughs> no, blanch it. No, there's nowhere to blanch yeah. it. Yeah, so do you have to, any salt or anything? Nope, just ate them plain. Uh, but I waited until she got off. <laughs> yeah, but, well, you know what? I, I, I also, I don't even think it's really possible for an adult to watch, like, eat a banana in public. So zucchini, <laughs> banana, whatever, it's, it's hardcore. And it turns out, here's what I learned. It was, when I eat, if, you, if I eat a, zucchini, a whole zucchini raw, it's really sweet. Oh, they're good. I had no idea. They're I good. couldn't finish the third one. It was, uh, I mean, well, I had to that's wait. That's a lot of fiber, you know, in one raw. And you're not going to be able to digest a lot of it because it's raw. It, the sweetness is what got me. Because as a kid, I remember them being, ter- maybe kids, maybe the taste buds change. But as a kid, I remember, the, the, I don't know what you call it. It's not sour. It's not bitter. The zucchini flavor I didn't really like when I was young. And here I was overwhelmed with sweetness. I was like, oh, I wish I'd noticed that when I was younger. Well, maybe they were particularly, uh, who knew that the, like a bodega or whatever would have great zucchini. <laughs> maybe it was local, yeah. Who knows? Well, let's wrap up now and pick up here next time. Okay. And uh, anything I didn't think to ask to cover before, or anything you want to say to the listeners before wrapping up? Your water doesn't need to come from Fiji. Not to be preachy, but it really doesn't. It's like the opposite of preachy. It's, it's like if preachy is like coming down from above. Or they, France, for yeah. that matter. Like it's bad enough that it's in a bottle. Could it just come from Maine? I don't know. I'm, not, I'm really not pushing any bottled water, but it doesn't need to come from overseas. It's just crazy to me. Crazy. <laughs> well, let's wrap up there. Alexis, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? 
step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.